In the early days of witch hunting, it was as simple as pointing the finger at someone by whom you felt threatened, who you blamed for misfortunes, or someone who challenged your beliefs and values. As witch hunting was on the rise, so was an opportunity to become a witch hunter by profession. In March 1644, a man by the name of Matthew Hopkins claimed to have encountered six witches in Manningtree, who allegedly tried to kill him. Hopkins would become a notorious witch hunter who was responsible for upwards of 300 witches being tried and executed between 1644 and 1647. He traveled to Essex, Suffolk, Norfolk, Huntingdon, and Greater East Anglia to solicit his services of rooting out witches, forcing them to confess, and then having them hanged. All this for a generous fee, of course, which was sometimes paid for by the local magistrates, amounting to a month's worth of wages. Hopkins, along with his two assistants, would set out to eradicate witches within the community. His way of identifying a witch was much along the lines of the general consensus, which, for the most part, was torturous, along with his own special methods. He would prick the skin deformity, he considered essentially a feeding nipple for imps. If the person did not sense the prick, they were a witch. With a hefty price tag on the heads of witches, conniving and falsified ways of making these claims and prosecutions would also emerge. It was said that Hopkins had fashioned a retractable pin in order to successfully prosecute a witch and collect his handsome reward. Another one of his methods was binding people and throwing them into water. And if they floated, it was an indication that they were a witch, believing that the water was repelling them due to the suspect having denied baptism. Ironically, Rumors have since circulated that Hopkins' untimely death in 1647 was because he himself was accused of being a witch and then failed to pass his own tests. Because it was a medieval prison um, Back in the 1500s, and it's most famous for the incarceration of a very famous witch called Ursula Kemp. Um, she was hung as a witch, um, along with uh, two other women. Um, she lived in this village, and um, she was she she was taken. She was accused of witchcraft. She was accused of many things. Um, she was taken along with 12 other women, all in all, out of the village, and many of them were imprisoned here. Um, the three most famous ones we know, Ursula and the other two, um, were also here, and they were the three that did, um, that, that were that were hanged, that, that were executed for being witches. The house was also used for the imprisonment of, of women, children, men, you know, for various other reasons. So it was, you know, the house is most famous for Ursula Kemp, but many people have um, been imprisoned here and, and obviously died in here over the years. I came to live here, um, I was actually, this is my childhood village where I lived as a, you know, where I lived as a child and um, I'd moved out of the village, you know, like most of us do 
and um, I was I was working away and I came home one day and I was home for the weekend visiting friends and I just saw this house up for sale, a for sale sign and for some reason I just had to own this house. I, I really, really, really had to own this house and I don't know why to this day. I was drawn to it, I was completely pulled to it and, and, and got literally obsessed by it. I owned a house um, in Newcastle at the time where I was working and I thought, well, I can't, I need to buy this house. So I thought I've got to sell that house. There were tenants in my other house, which I owned. Um, and I did, I managed it on literally within weeks. I was living here. So I don't, I don't, I, I was aware of the house, obviously. I used to walk past this house as a child, turn back from school. And obviously because it's a medieval prison and it's a very famous historical property, um, obviously people knew about it anyway, you know, down to the history. I, I, I don't really know exactly what drew me to it. I don't know if it was a bit of that. I didn't know so much of the history at that point, though, to be honest. But I just had to buy it, and I did. I did buy it. as the cage. Looks normal enough from the outside, but what goes on inside is anything but. The cage at St Osith is a small privately owned cottage sitting right on the edge of the main road to Clacton-on-Sea. It dates back to the 17th century when it was used as a local holding cell for prisoners awaiting trial. Today, it's owned by Vanessa Mitchell, who agreed to show me around what some claim is the most frightening house in Britain. Hi, Michaela. Hi, Vanessa. Welcome to the cage. It looks like such a sweet little cottage, but it has such a story, doesn't it? Yeah, it has many, many stories, the cage. It's very, um, it's an extremely haunted property, to be honest. How long have you owned it? I've owned it for seven years now. Um, three of those years I've lived here, and the other three, unfortunately, I haven't, haven't been able to. It's been left empty. Now, you've had all sorts of things that have happened to you in here, Vanessa. Yeah. And you, you've chosen not to live here, haven't you? Yeah. Tell me about that. I mean, I, I one day had to leave with a four-month-old son and pack up and go and live with a friend in one room, basically, to get out of this house. It was that bad. Left it, and, and it's been here empty because of, the, you know, because of what happened in here. I just, had, I just had to go. I bought the cage about seven years ago. Before that, the cage had been up for sale regularly with every sort of three, four years, two, three years. Any owners that had brought this house always moved out of it. There's been lots and lots of bad stories connected to the cage and people lived here. Um, there's been deaths, suicides. There's been people that have been perfectly happy, came here, and within you know months or years, they'd been divorced. Um, there's been a lot of illness. There's just been some really horrible stories, you know. It's one of those houses, it's always up for sale, and everyone that leaves here flees, you know, literally like me. And, and, I'm, an, and I'm another part of the story, had to go, had to go. Give me a brief sort of summary of what this was. Um, this house used to be the old village prison. It's most famous for um, the witches in the old days that were tried. A lot of them were kept here, up to 13 witches were kept 
in that room there in the cage room. Also, um, kids in the village that stole a loaf of bread, um, any type of criminal activity at all, and most of them were taken out of that room and executed. Let's go and have a look in here, because this is the actual cage, or yeah. was the cage, wasn't it? This is where they were kept. Now, they used to be chained up along here with leather straps. This is one when of When you say they, that's the witches? Yeah, the witches. Um, there was altogether, I think, 13, especially the Ursula Kemp trials, 13 were, were taken and kept in here. This is one of the original chains, and this always swings, this chain as well. Just you'll be turning around and this chain will be swinging. Um, we, we've got pictures of big black... I mean, you, you'd come here in here sometimes and see black formations, like energy or masses, I'm not sure, but black things as figures, black figures. You know, you know when you kind of turn around and you think someone's there? Well, in this place, and then there is something there. The conditions of the cage in those days would have been awful. There was no light at all. There was um, a tiny little light in the roof. There were no doors. That's the only visible light they would have had. It would have been very, very cold, very damp, um, no doubt full of mice and creatures. They were chained to the walls, um, lots of them all chained to the brick walls. Uh, it would have been horrible and it would have been freezing and very, very unhealthy. Worst, worst thing that had ever happened, and I hadn't really told anyone because it just sounds too fantastical, my friend, um, he was a sergeant major in Afghanistan, um, Neil, and my, my best friend Kirsty, she's a nurse. They popped in for a cup of tea. Um, it was a, again, it was an afternoon, summertime. We walked through, made the tea, sat back out there. Now, before this was carpeted, it used to be the wood. And Neil's sitting there and he said, Ness, what, what's all that on the floor? There was big blood splatters on the floor. You're now, kidding I'm, me. I'm not joking. I, this is absolute truth. Now, he came through and it, he... First of all, he said, Ness, and, he, and he, he said, this is blood. And he said, what the hell is going on in this house? I've had some tenants ringing me up, screaming, um, the activity at night, up and down the stairs, cushions being thrown across the sofa, um, doors opening. One woman was physically kneeled on, and she was in her bed, and she was physically restrained in her bed. Um, she, that was her last couple of weeks here, she again made plans to leave. I, I've tried to rent it out and nobody stays here long. Uh, yeah, we uh, moved in after Vess had invited us uh, to live here. She told us it was haunted before we came, uh, but I, I was never a believer and didn't think anything of it. But after living here for six months to a year, it just got to the point where I felt uncomfortable, even in daytime, let alone at night, um, after hearing People coming upstairs when there's no one in the house, doors rattling, things moving, things disappearing, things... It just got too much. What's the worst thing that happened to you while you were in there? I think the worst thing was uh, being, being upstairs on my own of a night and hearing someone coming up the stairs, the door, the handle on the bedroom door turning and knowing full well that there's no-one in the house, no-one's likely to be in the house, and it just put you, puts you on edge. You don't know what's coming through. You know that no-one's there, but someone's coming up the stairs and someone's turning the handle, so it just got so much. This is on the downstairs, the little downstairs toilet. 
there's a problem in here as well. Only quite, quite recently, I was in here and I heard scratching coming from through this cupboard underneath from the floor. Now, first of all, I thought, scratching, what kind of noise was it? It wasn't like on tiles or it wasn't like on painted wood. It was as if it was coming from actually from underneath. Um, and it happened loudly twice. And then I'm right, so I just got out again. I was only here just doing, you know, just clearing up and just, just had to go. What do you think that was? Well, they're supposed to be... Every medium and psychic, literally I've had in here in four years, always say the same thing. They're buried underneath the floor, there's bodies underneath that, this floor. Now, for St Osith, it's not out of the way because it's happened before. They found witches' skeletons and various things, bodies underneath floors. Um, I think it may be connected to that, I'm not sure, but something's underneath there. Something's underneath here. And it was if, I'm not being dramatic, but it was if it's like, come on, I'm here. Chris Palmer is a local paranormal investigator who believes that the cage is one of the most frightening places he's ever been. Um, we came here, that's probably about eight at night. We were setting up the cameras all throughout the house. Um, I was setting up upstairs, came walking down the stairs, and I felt a strong push on my back. I turned around, there weren't no one behind me, so I shouted to my colleague Lee to come down because he was um, in the other room upstairs. Um, he came down and then he got shoved in the back as well downstairs, but he actually went right to the bottom. Did he hurt himself? Uh, no, no, because I, I was on the bottom, he landed on me. <laughs> I have investigated probably hundreds of cases, um, but each time I come here, this is always the worst feeling. The next day I'll have a headache. I just feel like when I'm in here, it's very depressing. It's a depressing place to be in. I couldn't live here. Couldn't be in here by myself for any length of time. There was also one story of a gentleman that came here. He was with a ghost investigation team. He was a huge man. He was a, he was a debt collector. And he showed me his arms, he had stab wounds, he was a big, big man, and not very easily intimidated at all. And he was in this room doing an investigation and he said he got physically, physically pushed into the wardrobe. Now, he said to me, Vanessa, look at the size of me, and he said, this thing actually physically pushed, pushed, you know, pushed him into the wardrobe. You know, and he was terrified. And that's the thing, you could be big and brave and all you want, like you say, the dead, the dead don't hurt you, but people like him, who deal with the living every day on that kind of basis, and he was actually physically attacked in here. And, that, and there's lots more, more people that have been physically attacked. I've had people pushed in the wardrobes, completely in the wardrobes. I've had people scratched, we can physically see scratch marks. There's also been um, tragedy recently in the cage as well. One previous owner hung himself in this property. Um, and he, he, from what I can gather from what people see, he doesn't seem to have passed on. There is a theory that if you do commit suicide, you, you, you don't pass over, or you have to wait before you're collected. Um, that is an opinion. Whether it's true or not, we don't know. But unfortunately, um, the, the, the suicide of a recent gentleman in here, he doesn't seem to have gone at all. This house has been up for sale every three years for as long as I can remember. I, I've been brought up in this village as a child 
Um, and I didn't realise how bad it was. But I look back now, there's a reason nobody's owned this house for long. There's a reason people always leave or kill themselves in here or get divorced or, or go mad. However, far from being an isolated incident, many previous residents have left the house as a result of this kind of activity. Nothing at first. I mean, you, you, you tend to ignore it or pre just try and rationalise it, I suppose. Like, you know, oh, that's, that's nothing. That's a, it's an old building. Like, things creak, things like, you know, I mean, things happen, you hear things. But after it happens, after it happens once, you put it down to that. After the second time, you put it down to that. It happens every day, and eventually, you can't, you can't. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I was, I was a complete skeptic. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have given you the time as I was. I said you're all mad, but once you live in a place like this, you can't, you, you can't argue against it. It's just, it's fact. It's in your face every day. Yeah. Up, in the bathroom upstairs, um, and it was, it was in the morning. It weren't, weren't night. It weren't like all night and dark and everything. It was broad daylight. I was getting, uh, just had a shower, going going to work, and there was someone standing behind me, clear as day, just like someone was just spraying the back of my head with that consistent while I was brushing my teeth. And it, it wasn't like once in a blue moon; it was like every other day, every two, three days. Like you'd feel it building up and building up and building up, and just go out, just like go to a walk, go go to the pub, go somewhere else, go anywhere. The team on the night was comprised of professional investigators, mediums and local historians. They were all in search of what those previous residents and others had mentioned they'd seen and felt in this house. And it was not long before we saw some results. They began by using an electromagnetic field detector, or EMF detector for short. The device not only reads levels of electromagnetic energy, but can also be used to communicate with spirits around it device that you have in your everyday life gives off some sort of energy. Yeah. Um, we can measure it, like mobile phones, we can use this device to measure that energy. Mm -hmm. um, but the presence of spirit also gives off energy. And this is what we're detecting because it's intermittent. It, it comes and it, and it disappears and there's no reason for that. After barely getting the device out of the box, it started responding incredibly well to the questions asked. That's really strong. Keep coming towards me, please. Are you female? Make that flush really fast if you're female. Are you male? Can you stop? Stop. Oh. <laughs> if you're questioning the sensitivity of this device, I had to hold a mobile phone right next to it just to purposefully make it beep once or twice. But this was different, and the readings much stronger than usual. During the course of the night, it appeared that the EMF device was responding to questions asked by increasing its energy levels. Are you stuck here? Are you stuck here? 
Are you happy here? However, all was not that easy. One of the mediums, Gemma, was forced to go outside because she felt the strong presence of a girl in agony in the house. On, she was on me and it just overwhelmed me because she was just there. I could I could hear her crying, I could see her crying and it just really inconsolable crying and it was just like no one listened, why didn't they listen? Like, you know, no one's listening. Like just getting angry and crying and you know when you get so angry you just can't stop crying and that just overwhelmed me and I just Gemma, earlier in the day, had envisioned something down the alleyway running behind the back of the house. We went down with the historian to see if she could better identify what it was she was seeing. Being carried yeah. or, and dragged, like, mishappily. I've just got, like, at the moment, of literally someone just dragging, yeah. you know, someone along. Yeah. Um, I'm not picking up anything of like, you know, of individual people. It's like I'm just seeing seeing that happening. Do they take any like bodies out of there and take them up here yes. to bury or yes. What Gemma is describing is remarkably accurate. It's known only locally as Coffin Walk, and Gemma is no local. In fact, she's never been here before. This is just narrow enough for a cart to fit a coffin on. So it's not anything horrible you're seeing, but you are completely accurate. Okay. Body, because the church is that way. Right, and we saw that's it. been a closed graveyard for a long time because it's so full. Right. So the new graveyard for the village is at the top of this walk. Right. It's about a five minute, ten minute walk, if that. Okay. So they would have the church service there. Yeah. Pop the body on large wheeled carts and slowly bring okay, the body then, yeah. and the coffin up for burial. Because definitely everyone was going this way. It was all going this way. Yeah. I was just get like, yeah. So yeah, the, the concept of a person being dragged is exactly okay. that's what it is. They would have been wheeled up on a big cart and that's why it's called Coffin Walk. Oh, We've just taken a walk up the alleyway outside the house um, with Gemma because she came out here earlier and said that she could feel something almost as if a person was being dragged along. So um, I knew the reasons for that and we decided to come back later in the dark when she'd had a little bit more time to think about it. And when we came out again, she picked up on it straight away and this time she was a little more specific and said she did feel as if it was people being carried or dragged along. Um, and then she said, did they bring dead bodies up here? So at this point I then explained that the alley we're walking up to is uh, actually called Coffin Walk. Locally it's known as Coffin Walk and it was the pathway from the church up to the cemetery for burial. So yes, coffins and people were brought up there on a small wheeled cart, like a funeral procession, up to the cemetery. So the fact that she got that was very good.
very good. She was very accurate in her description of that and there's no way she could have known that because it's only locally known as Coffin Walk. It's not listed on any maps. So yeah, it was very good. This is... Gosh. Because I've never done this before. It's just yeah. mad. Yeah, you're done. Yeah. Earlier that day, I'd caught up with historian Charlotte, who explained what others had experienced in the upstairs bathroom. The same upstairs bathroom John, our previous resident, had once felt someone standing behind him. Uh, in fact, quite a few experienced mediums have tried and they have literally recoiled and stepped back and refused point blank to go in there. They're just saying it's very, very uncomfortable. There's something, you know, if you want to use the terms dark entity, I don't know, but they really don't like being in there. Later on that night, I asked our medium, Gemma, to go into the bathroom to see what she felt. She, like others before, had the same aggressive feeling coming from the room. Oh no, no, I can't touch it, sorry, sorry, no. What Gemma was experiencing mirrored other mediums who had gone before her. What added to the mystery, however, was the revelation that a man had tragically taken his own life right outside this bathroom door only five years ago. which estate agents spent over 10 years trying to sell. But as Britain's creepiest cottage is finally taken off the market, it's finally sold after a decade, what horrors await its surprise?